The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at overlandpark.cc. Welcome to OPCC. It's good to see all of you this week. Glad you are here this morning and hope you have had a chance to see some of all the exciting stuff going on downstairs. And as Molly said, we welcome you to go and tour and uh, eat some cake and enjoy yourselves. And um, man, like you guys, like, like some of you, all right, let me just say this clear and gentle. Some of you need to get off your rears and sign up downstairs to help in the kids' ministry. Amen. Amen. Like, oh, I like it upstairs. Well, so does everybody, you know. Everybody wants to just come. But sometimes we need to get engaged and we need to get involved. And we got kids down there that need to learn about Jesus. And some of you can invest in that. <clears throat> you need to understand that, like, the Lord has given us a leader and, and we need to get behind her and follow her investing in the kids' ministry. So, like, you lay that before the Lord, and you should pray. Am I one of those ones that should get off my rear this week, Lord? Amen? Yeah. Well, y'all don't like me talking that way, do you? You better get ready, because we're going down in the prophet of Joel today. And we're going to get way down in there. Now, Joel, do you know what I mean when I call your name, bro? You know what I'm saying? You're nervous as a cat right now, aren't you? <laughs> He's like, oh, God, what did I do now? Joel is my first son. We named him Joel. And Joel, when your name is called, it means Yahweh is God. Similar to Jesus is Lord. And so these people who we are listening to and learning about today and the prophet Joel, we don't know that much about him. We know that his dad who his dad was and what his dad named him. And often when, uh, when, when people named their children, it was a reflection of what they valued and what they, what they believed. And so um, this guy wanted his name, uh, the name of his son to be Yahweh as God. And Joel, um, the prophet Joel of one of the writing prophets certainly um, has a heart to proclaim that Yahweh is indeed God. And so we look at this, and, and, and what we're going to talk about today is, is pretty powerful stuff, okay? And so when we think about the return of Jesus, if you've grown up in a Christian home, <clears throat> been a Christian very long, you think about the return of Christ, and when you first become a follower of Jesus, it is on your mind. Like, you think, you look around at everything, and you go, the Lord is coming back soon. That's what happens to you when you become a follower of Christ. That's what, what happened to me. You start looking and go, man, he is coming back. That's what happened to the um, early followers of Jesus, man. Even as he ascended and he gave them the great commission, um, they expected him to return quickly. And they didn't know exactly when, and he told them that, that it wasn't for him to tell them when he would return. But it feels like it's very far off. And so we look out there in the future, and, and it feels uh, way far out in the future, for these people that are receiving the book of Joel, the, prophet, uh, the prophecy of Joel, a lot of what is talked about is forward-looking. And so they have to look as we look and go, man, when will Jesus come back? There's some stuff in here that is prophesied about um, that doesn't happen in their lifetimes, and they're looking out to that. But for us, some of the stuff that we read about from the prophet Joel has already happened, but not all of it, because he also talks about the return of the Lord. 
And they didn't know how it was all going to work out, but he, he talks about the indwelling of the Spirit, and we'll see that today. When, when the Spirit fell on humanity, and no longer was God just operating in a select few to achieve a certain purpose, his Spirit would be poured out on all of humanity. And, 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 then, and they, would, they would go forth and do that thing that Jesus said to do, is make disciples. And so we... As we look at the prophet of Joel, we have to look back and we have to look forward. We look back a couple of thousand years ago to the day of Pentecost and it is happening. And we look forward to the return of Christ that he is coming. So we're sort of in the middle of those two things and we have something in common with these people in that they were looking forward to all of this happening and didn't know quite exactly how it would happen. And so when we come to Pentecost, what we have is we have two streams of prophecy that meet together and begin the flow of what is called the last days. So we look and you go, man, things are crazy around here and we go, are we living in the last days? Yes, we are. We've been in the, living in the last days since Jesus came. Like since Pentecost happened, the last days started. And we'll learn that as we study different prophecies throughout the Old Testament. And so the last days begin at the time and arrival of Christ and the sending forth of the Holy Spirit. And they will end like a great river running through time that eventually comes to a waterfall with the is known as the day of the Lord. They culminate in what is called the day of the Lord. So all of history is moving toward this climactic event. As Sean talked about in worship, about creation. All the way from creation, um, this whole thing we're experiencing, as Americans, we tend to sort of uh, make life all about self. You know, even the Bible, we approach the Bible and we think it's about me. And it is. Like individually, the Lord cares and he, he knows us by name. But, but in a greater capacity, the, the, the whole story of creation is about God. It's about the redemption uh, and the heart of God. And so our story is part of that story that fits in the greater whole. But all of time is rushing toward this climactic event called the day of the Lord. So we are living in the last days that lead up to that point of the day of the Lord. Now, the people of Joel couldn't say that. They were not living in the last days. They were living uh, into the time that the Spirit would come and usher in the last days. Even Jesus himself talked about the last days. Many of the New Testament writers talk about the last days. And we'll see that Joel is the first of the minor prophets who mentions the day of the Lord. And, and this is, so when you come across scripture and you read the day of the Lord, like this is a very significant thing in scripture and calls for our attention. And so there are many lessons in the, in the book of Joel. It's three chapters long. Um, the second chapter is the longest chapter. And as I sat before the Lord and asked him, you know, Lord, what is it you want me to see? I need to see it so I can say what you want me to say. Um, and that's often how I pray as I'm approaching what I'm going to teach on Sunday mornings. And the Lord very clearly said to me, I want you to see the whole thing. And uh, I get emotional, man, because things are jacked up. And people are so confused. And people of the Lord are confused. And people of the Lord are identifying with the wrong things that are going to provide no relief whatsoever. 
And you can waste your life and you can waste your time and you can waste your energy fighting the wrong battles. And so as we look at the prophet Joel, it is a call to understand what really matters and what we should really be investing in. And so we're going to just unpack it. I'm just going to read through the prophet Joel. And I'll make some comment along the way. And then I'm going to give you sort of the main things that I think um, the Lord wants us to see. And I, I believe it's a message not only for us as a body of believers that we should take to heart, but it is a message um, for, the, for the church, for the Christian, for the world, man, is that if we could just get this, then things would shift. And there have been, <clears throat> there have been moments in the last days where great awakenings have happened. And when those great awakenings happen, the things that I'm going to talk about today are what led to those things. And, 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 and those great awakenings swept over the land and culture shifted and things changed and, and the church grew because people were getting serious about who they were and who God was and how they related and connected with him. And so we begin in chapter one, verse one, and it says, the word of the Lord that came to Joel, son of Pethuel, and he says, hear this, you elders. Listen, all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days? And that's a powerful question. He's asking the people, have you ever seen anything like this? And he says, or in the days of your forefathers. Tell it to your children and let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. What the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, other locusts have eaten. And so there are many different terms that the Bible uses for locusts, and, and most scholars agree that he is talking about the different larva stages of the locusts. They're coming in, man, and they're coming in waves, and they just keep stripping away from the people's sustenance. And, and so he's, he's describing this event that is actually happening in, in their day and time. In their lifetime, they experienced a plague of locusts that was of biblical proportions, Right? And so we see even some plague of locusts happening in our day, but we still have, uh, the we have the ability to fight them with pesticides and things of that nature. They didn't have any of that. And, and they didn't, like, like the, the crops were their livelihood. If things didn't grow, man, to make it through the winter was going to be a very difficult time. And so he says, have you ever seen anything like this? This is, this is so amazing that it is something that we should understand this should be told not only to our children, but to our grandchildren and our, <clears throat> our excuse me, our great-grandchildren and our great-great-grandchildren. Like it should be passed down and moved on from generation to generation. And then he says, wake up, you drunkards, and weep, wail, all you drinkers of wine, wail because of the new wine, for it has been snatched from your lips." A nation has invaded my land, powerful and without number. It has teeth of a lion, the fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my vines and ruined my fig trees. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it away, leaving their branches white. I mean, it was so... First they came and they ate the leaves and then they ate the other plants. And as the, as the locust plague just continued to come, it, would, it was even chewing off the tender bark of the trees and leaving them stripped white. 
He says, mourn like a virgin in sackcloth, grieving for the husband of her youth. Grain offerings and drink offerings are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests are in mourning. Those who minister before the Lord, the fields are ruined. The, crowd, the ground is dried up. The grain is destroyed. The new wine is dried up. The oil fails. Despair, you farmers. Well, you vine growers. Grieve for the wheat and the barley because the harvest of the field is destroyed. The vine is dried up and the fig tree is withered. The pomegranate, the palm, and the apple tree, all the trees of the field are dried up. Surely the joy of mankind has withered away. It's like, whoa. You come and say, this is not a self-help sermon, okay? He's like, whoa, man, Joel, lighten up, bro. And he goes on, man. He doesn't lighten up. He's like, look around at what's happening. Have you ever seen anything like this? Then he says, put on sackcloth, O priest, and mourn. Well, you who minister before the altar, come spend the night in sackcloth, you who minister before my God. For the grain offerings and the drink offerings are withheld from the house of your God. They didn't have the stuff to to do the offerings. Like it was dried up. So what is this sackcloth? It's like burlap, man. They would put it on very uncomfortable, just trying to get their minds right and wrapped around what is happening. And and it was was a a discipline that they would engage in um, to help them to really be humble before God. He says, declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Cry out, he says. Alas, for that day, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. Has not the food been cut off before our very eyes? Joy and gladness from the house of our God. The seeds are shriveled beneath the clods. The storehouses are in ruins. The granaries have been broken down for the grain has dried up. How the cattle moan. The herds mill about because they have no pasture. Even the flocks of sheep are suffering. To you, O Lord, I call. For fire has devoured the open pastures and flames have burned up all the trees of the field. Even the wild animals pant for you. The streams of water have dried up and fire has devoured the open pastures. He's like, man, this this thing is so bad that even all of the animal kingdom is like suffering. The cows are just out there just, 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 you know. Yeah, they're like, if you ever been out and the, and, the, and the farmer hasn't come to feed the cows and you're out hunting, man, you, you pull your truck up and you can just hear an old cow, an old heifer just, moo, moo. Oh, that's what's going on. You didn't know you was going to get that kind of preaching today, did you? <laughs> and so they're just out there moaning. The sheep are moaning. Everything is suffering. <clears throat> he goes into tr- chapter 2 and He says, blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy hill. 
Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, like dawn spreading across the mountains. A large and mighty army comes, such as never was of old, nor ever will be in ages to come. So he starts using what's happening with the locusts to sort of describe what's going on and what will happen in the future. He says, before them fire devours, behind them a flame blazes. Before them the land is like the Garden of Eden, perfect out in front of them. Behind them a desert waste, nothing escapes them. They have the appearance of horses, they gallop along like cavalry. With a noise like that of chariots, they leap over the mountaintops like a crackling fire consuming stubble, like a mighty army drawn up for battle. We hear the language of John the Revelator, very similar passages in the book of Revelation. At the sight of them, nations are in anguish. Every face turns pale. They charge like warriors. They scale walls like soldiers. They all march in line, not swerving from their course. They do not jostle each other. Each marches straight ahead. They plunge through defenses without breaking ranks. They rush upon the city. They run along the wall. They climb into the houses like thieves. They enter through the windows. This is everywhere, man. Now watch this. You're not ready for this. Before, the, before them, the earth shakes, the sky trembles, the sun and moon are darkened, the stars no longer shine. The Lord thunders at the head of his army. His forces are beyond number, and mighty are those who obey his command. The day of the Lord is great. It is dreadful. Who can endure it? You just kind of feel like, whoo, let's go downstairs and have cake right now right? He's like, the Lord is leading this army that has just been described. It is the Lord's army. It is dreadful. And Joel says, man, you think what you're looking at right now is something. He's like, what is coming in the day of the Lord is terrifying. And so he tells us and the people, even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and have pity and leave behind a blessing. Grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the people. Consecrate the assembly. Bring together the elders. Gather the children, those nursing at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the temple porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God. He's like calling everybody. Normally, the, the bride and the groom, man, if, if you were married, you got a year off. No military service, nothing. You just got a year off. The kids were excused from different um, responsibilities, but he says, no, everybody, everybody come to the house of the Lord and let the priest get between the altar and the people and let him call out and beg God to forgive us. 
I mean, it's a serious thing that Joel is saying. And so like, he said, maybe the Lord will relent and maybe calamity won't come. And then the Lord will be jealous for his land and take pity on his people. The Lord will reply to them, I am sending you grain, new wine, and oil. Enough to satisfy you fully. Never again will I make you an object of scorn to the nations. I will drive the northern army far from you, pushing it into a parched and barren land with its front columns going into the eastern sea and those in the rear into the western sea. And its stench will go up, its smell will rise. Surely he has done great things. Be not afraid, O land. Be glad and rejoice. Surely the Lord has done great things. Be not afraid, O wild animals, for the open pastures are becoming green. That's why we talk often about brown to green as dead things coming to life. He says, the open pastures are becoming green. The trees are bearing the fruit. The fig tree and the vine yield their riches. Be glad, O people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the autumn rains in righteousness. He sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains as before. The threshing floors will be filled with grain. The vats will overflow with new wine and oil. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. The great locusts and the young locusts, the other locusts and the locust swarm my great army that I sent among you. You will have plenty to eat until you are full and you will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. Then you will know that I am in Israel, that I am the Lord your God and that there is no other. Never uh, again will my people be shamed. It's good news, man. It's a forecast of the gospel. And afterward... I will pour out my spirit on my people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be deliverance as the Lord has said among the survivors whom the Lord calls. We see, man, on the day of Pentecost that Peter says, men, they were saying, you you guys are drunk and acting crazy. He says, no, man, this is what the prophet Joel has prophesied. The spirit of God has fallen on the people. And they were speaking in languages that they could all understand And they had been in the presence of the fire of God falling down. And a new age was ushered in. And the last days started as the spirit fell upon humanity. And the old men would see dream dreams. And the young men would have visions. And they would hear the voice of the Lord as Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice. They listen and they follow me. And the people of God would begin to move in a way like the planet had never seen. The church came out of the ground. The Lord started saving people. 
And he goes on to forecast what, like, what is at the end? And at those days and at that time when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. There I will enter into judgment against them. Concerning my inheritance, my people Israel. For they scattered my people among the nations and divided up my land. They cast lots for my people and traded boys for prostitutes. They sold girls for wine that they might drink. You just see the value that they had for the people of God was like they would just trade them for a drink, a glass of wine. The Lord is saying, man, I will... I will vindicate that. I will, I will mete out all those who cause my people to suffer. Sometimes when you feel like, man, I'm the only one who's following the Lord, and you feel like it just isn't fair, you need to back up and go, man, the people that aren't following the Lord do not have a good thing coming. And you should just thank the Lord that he has spared you. Now what have you against me, O Tyre and Sidon? In all you regions of Philistia, are you repaying me for something I have done? If you are paying me back, I will swiftly and speedily return on your own heads what you have done. For you took my silver and my gold and carried off my finest treasure to your temples. You sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks that you might send them far from their homeland. You scattered them everywhere. It It was a terrible experience for the people of Israel. He says, see, I'm going to rouse them out of the places to which you sold them. I will return on your own heads what you have done. I will sell your sons and daughters to the people of Judah, and they will sell them to the Sabians, a nation far away. The Lord has spoken. Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for war. Rouse the warriors. Let all the fighting men draw near and attack. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weaklings say, I am strong. Come quickly, all you nations from every side, and assemble there. Bring down your your warriors, O Lord. What is that? That is the angelic host returning with him. Bring down your warriors, O Lord. Let the nations be roused. Let them advance into the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all nations on every side. Swing the sickle for the harvest is ripe. Come trample the grapes for the winepress is full and the vats overflow. So great is their wickedness. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and moon will be darkened and the stars no longer shine. The Lord The Lord will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem. The earth and the sky will tremble, but the Lord will be a refuge for his people, a stronghold for the people of Israel. Then you will know that I, the Lord, your God, dwell in Zion, my holy hill. Jerusalem will be holy. Never again will foreigners invade her. In that day, the mountains will drip new wine and the hills will flow with milk. All the ravines of Judah will run with water. A, fla- a fountain will flow out of the Lord's house and will, uh, and will water the valley of Acacias. But Egypt will be desolate. Edom, a desert waste because of the violence done to the people of Judah in, those, in whose land they shed innocent blood. Judah Judah will be inhabited forever in Jerusalem through all generations. Their blood guilt, which I have not pardoned, I will pardon. The Lord dwells 
in Zion. This, brothers and sisters, is the word of the Lord. Now you could go to a church and you could find somebody who could twist something around and make it say what they want to say. Chances are good that in your lifetime you've probably never heard a sermon like this. Because we have become so weak and anemic as the people of God that we have fallen asleep. But when we study the word and we see what it calls us to in obedience and we see what we are approaching, what we see is that, man, there's a lot of good stuff, but there's a lot of frightening stuff in there too. And we don't get the pleasure and the luxury of deciding that we're going to leave out all the frightening stuff and just celebrate all the good stuff because the truth of the matter is that some of the frightening stuff is some of the things that we need to hear to get us engaged and understand what really matters in this world. And as we read this um, prophecy from the prophet Joel, we can see all of this language and we see that, that, that men, they didn't know exactly how all of this was going to come to pass. But when Jesus arrives and the last days are, are started, man, he gives us a clear example. He says that in all of this language, we see that, man, um, there's, there's coming to this thing, to the day of the Lord that will will bring an end to time as we know it. So it's all flowing right now. And these streams of prophecy that I referred to, the prophecy of Christ where he prophesied that the spirit would come, the prophecy of Joel where he prophesied that the spirit would come, they collide with one another and they begin the flow of the river of time uh, of the last days. And they start measuring out this, um, this thing, this climactic event that we're headed toward. And so if you will, when the water flows over the fall and it's over, it happens in the valley of Jehoshaphat, the valley of decision, multitudes and multitudes. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk about that here in a moment, but what, what we see is that once that takes place, then he begins to describe that there is a river that never runs dry and it flows from where? From throne, from the throne of God. And I'm reminded of John the Revelator who he talks about that there is a river of life flowing, that Jesus said, I am the water of life. I am the bread of life. And so he's all like pointing toward this time that we move toward this climactic event. When the river starts flowing, the river of life starts flowing from the thr throne of God and we live forever and ever and ever. And so this uh, language of Egypt uh, never, like they are excluded and that people who are wicked are never able to enter Jerusalem. I'm reminded in the, in the revelation that there will be a new Jerusalem. And those who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's what Joel said. That's what Peter said. Because that's what God said. And they're just repeating the good news. And so as we look at this and we go, man, what are we to draw from it? What are we to learn um, from what God is trying to teach us? Three things. At least three. Has anything like this ever happened? Locust plague without parallel, listen to this, descended on Judah. It disrupted their economy on all levels of society and everybody was deeply affected. It was a generational lesson that was to be passed on. They were not allowed to engage in daily worship. <laughs> because what was needed to worship daily wasn't there. Verse 12 ta taught us that the joy of man was withered. The daily offerings um, spoke of the heart of the believer's daily walk. There were three different types of offerings. There was the burn offering. And it was a sacrifice, sacrifice of life that was to be burned. And it was to remind them of the dedication of their lives 
to God. Yahweh is God. There was the meal offering that came from the grain that they harvested, and they would bring a portion of the meal offering to the Lord, and it was indicative or to be symbolic of the believer's service that should follow his life. So when you make a commitment to the Lord, then service should follow in the kingdom of Christ. And then there was the drink offer. They would pour out fruit of the vine, and it was an offering. And it was to represent the conscious joy in the heart of the believer whose life was poured out in service to God. And so what this is saying is our lives are to be a foreshadowing of the coming kingdom. Like this is what God does. is like he, he provides all of these things for us, and, and as we pour out for him, he pours out his glory on us, and, and, and as, as we walk with him, his abiding presence of glory through the relationship we have with Christ is just represented to the world around us. Their ability to do those things was taken away because they had taken it for granted. It wasn't taken away by a foreign enemy. It was taken away by God himself. All this sounds strikingly familiar to the times that we are living in today. You can't go to these places that you want to go to. You you can't even assemble together in houses of worship. It was like all of these things were like encroached upon. Has anything like this ever happened? That's my first question to you. I've never seen anything like it in my lifetime. I've seen some weird things. But I've never seen anything like this. I've never seen our country and so confused. I've never seen people stirred up about things and they're just screaming and doing nothing. Like, I I don't understand. I've never seen anything like this. And if we're not careful, we will get focused on the wrong things. And that's why Joel says the next takeaway, wake up and weep. Don't wake up and riot, wake up and weep. It's not wake up and get behind this side or get behind that side. It's wake up and weep before the God of the universe and understand what is happening in the world that we live in. Drunkards weep. You see, he singles them out first. Why? Because they were wrapped up in pleasure and he's saying to them, God is taking away that very thing that gives you pleasure. Priests weep. Farmers weep. Weep like a bride who lost her fiance. Rend your hearts, not your garments. It's a call to repentance. And it's important to understand what repentance is and what the elements of repentance are. It's confession of specific sins. When you say repent, we don't say, oh, I repent, Lord. Repent of what? What is it that you are sorry for? Because we call down and we repent. And as a nation, I'm, I'm extremely frustrated as a clergy, and I would just say this outspokenly. There are many injustices in our world, and I am in agreement with, with many of them. But if you want to know where systemic problems are, you look to how we're treating life itself. One million babies were sacrificed on the altar of self last year. Where's the outcry? Where's the weeping? Like our tax dollars go to fund that. 
They withhold from your check in order for a person to be able to go in and kill their baby. God help us. Like if slavery is a stain on our history, it is nothing compared to what abortion will be. It's heartbreaking to think about. Wake up and weep, he says. Confess your sins. Let there be contrition. Repentance requires confession of specific sins and then there's contrition. What does that mean? It means genuine sorrow. Spiritual winter must come before spiritual spring will arrive. And there are too many people who are trying to get right to spring. And you gotta go through the winter, man, and look at your life and go, I'm sorry. Like, I'm sorry for my sin, Lord. I'm sorry for being offensive to you. And then comes the third element of repentance, which is conversion. Your character and conversion, your character and your good works are out in front of you. And Jesus, who has been rejected by you, is behind you. And when you get converted, you do an about face and your character and your good works are behind you and Jesus is before you and you see all of life through the lens of Jesus, not through lens of, uh, the lens of any movement or any political party. You just see it through Jesus. And you make your decisions based upon what he said. Why? Because Jesus is Lord just like Yahweh is God. And that's what it means to be converted. And if you don't see life that way, and you're operating still out of character and goodness, you have never been converted because you have never truly repented of your sin and you've never actually confessed where your sin is. And so you've never experienced the transformation of life that Jesus talks about. And you're not really in this kingdom, you're just playing like it and you're taking it for granted. And if we're not careful, then those things are taken away. And so this is what Joel is trying to get us to see. And the next thing is, and it's good news, because genuine repentance changes your walk forever. Like, like when Jesus gets out in front of you, you never go back to living the way you did before. Repentance leads to repayment. This is why this message, though it sounds like very harsh and like, woo, bro, you're in the wrong century. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. You just want me to be. Like, I'm right, right down in the word. And if you don't like it, there's a church that will water it down for you right down the street. But I'm going to get you ready for the day of the Lord. Because that's what our culture needs. And that's why we're so broken. Is because the men of God won't stand up and be preachers. They want to be leaders and executives. They want to give TED Talks. Instead of preach the word. Repentance leads to repayment. How does the Lord repay us when we repent? Well, this is good news, man. Well, Joel prophesies regarding the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, of which I've already spoken. At Pentecost, God will come uh, to dwell himself in us. He lives in us. When we go through repentance, how are we repaid? Man, the joy of man that is withered return, is replaced with the joy of the Lord that is my strength. It's the fruit of the Spirit, man. 
It comes in us because God lives in us. And when we repent, not only do we get the blessing of the Holy Spirit, but as the Holy Spirit moves in our lives and we yield to him because now we can hear his voice, we follow hard after him because he lives in us, we can expect blessings in three areas of our lives. And here they are very quickly. First of all, material prosperity. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 19, he says very clearly, I will send grain, I will send new wine, I will send oil. What? To satisfy you fully. Now, I want to be careful. There is a false doctrine out there that is preached that is prosperity preaching. Preaching. Name it and claim it. Boy, you, you got to sow some seed. Well, if you just, those of you watching online, if you'll just hit that button and sow some seed right now, God's going to send a financial harvest. It's not true. That's not how it works. That's false teaching. It's not wealthy. It's satisfied. It's satisfied. I'm reminded of Jesus saying, seek ye first the kingdom of Christ and all these things shall be added to you. So we can expect material prosperity when we invest into the kingdom of Christ. We can expect security. Chapter two, verse 20, he says, I will drive the Northern army far far from you. I will drive it into the sea. And so like we look at that and, and we know, man, I can have security in my life. The Lord will protect me all the days of my life. And so we look at this and I go, man, well, this whole pandemic thing is happening. Nothing is going to happen to me until Jesus says it is time. Nothing. Now, I don't want to go get COVID-19. If you have COVID-19, I'm not going to come up and give you a big hug. I will come lay hands on you, but I probably would wear rubber gloves. Amen. But I, so in other words, I'm trying to say I would use wisdom, but fear is not going to control me that I, 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 something might happen to me. And so we look at this and we can have security. And the reason that the government is so screwed up right now is because they don't know what to do to give us security. Let me tell you what to do. Democrats and Republicans, wake up and weep. Fall before the Lord of the universe. And realize that is the only way that we can have security in our nation. And restoration. Verse 225 says, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. May the Lord provide, like, all those years that you, like, I, I love this because, man, I, there was, there was, a, there was a, a period of time in my life where I was living that I was letting the, the locusts eat away at my life. And then I repented and I was like, what did I do, man? What a waste of those years the locusts have eaten. And I had decided in my mind that I would do double time. And and, and Jesus said, I'll give you the abundant life. And so this is what the Lord is saying, man. When you repent, I will repay you for the years the locusts took away from you. I will make going forward so much better than what you lost when you were backwards when I was behind you that it will absolutely blow your mind. I will do exceedingly above and abundantly more than you could ever ask or think. And so that's what we can expect when we learn how to repent is that the Lord will repay us in good ways, man. So we make up lost time. And so that brings us to the big idea. You will decide now, he will decide then. The day of the Lord is coming. And as I've 
shown you from Scripture that was written well before Jesus ever walked on the planet in the flesh. The last day started with him. Chapter 3 of our text in verse 14 and 16 says, Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon will be darkened and the stars no longer shine. The Lord will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem. The earth and the sky will tremble, but the Lord will be a refuge for his people, a stronghold for the people of Israel. And what I would say to you today, as confusing as our world is, as frightening as sometimes it tends to be, we are experiencing, what we are experiencing now is nothing compared to the day of the Lord. Verse 11 in chapter 2 said, who can endure the day of the Lord? Only those who genuinely repent put Jesus out in front and follow. The full wrath of God is what I've been talking about today. All right? Like, I found that in How to Grow Your Church really quick. <laughs> I didn't find that in a book. To preach on the full wrath of God. That's what I've been teaching about. There are two times in history that the full wrath of God is poured out. The final judgment where it is poured out is described by, by Joel. And, and we see it from other writers in the Bible. And the second time was at the cross. And so when we, when, we, when we fail to teach about the wrath of God, we fail to teach about what he endured on our behalf. The full wrath of God was poured out on the Son. What did he say? Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What happens to people on the day of the Lord depends on their response to what happened to Jesus on the cross. If you wait until the day of the Lord, you will face it alone. If you take refuge in Christ, he has already faced your judgment for you. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Decide to follow Jesus now so that you will receive full pardon then.
the last verse of chapter three of our text. Their blood guilt, which I have not pardoned, I will pardon. The Lord dwells in Zion. This, friends, is the word of the Lord. It is the gospel in all its fullness. It is the prophecy of Joel. Yahweh is God. Do you believe in Jesus? Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.